Good morning. So for my talk this morning, what I'm going to be talking to you about a little bit is our mission statement as a church. And our mission statement can be found typically on the back side of the bulletin at the bottom of the page, but it's also on your handout this morning. Our mission statement reads, learning to love God and love others as we follow Jesus together. And I just want to go through some of the scriptures that underlie that mission statement. Uh, the first one is, and this also can be found on your handout, it's from Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Um, and this is known as, it's labeled in our Bibles as the Great Commandment. And I'll just read that to you. I'm going to actually start on verse, from verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what do we see here? Jesus had journeyed to Jerusalem from his Galilean ministry, and this, he's heading into his final week before his crucifixion. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, the, the religious leaders, um, were seeking to test Jesus. And they asked him this, one of the lawyers asked him this question. Hey, what is the greatest commandment from the Old Testament? Um, and his answer was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what do we observe from, those, from this passage? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength? When I think about that, I think it's pretty much your whole being, right? Everything that you are is, is what you use to love God and worship him. So it's every facet of you as an individual. And notice how Jesus ties this commandment to the next one when he says, the second is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So loving your neighbor as yourself is also important. And they're kind of almost equivalent, right? You've got the vertical component where you're loving God, and you've got the horizontal component where you're loving your neighbor. Another question that leaps out of this is, well, who is my neighbor? Um, and actually in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, Luke's account of this interaction, the lawyer does ask that follow-up question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus proceeds to, to talk about the, paral the parable of the Good Samaritan at that point. And who's the good neighbor? Who's the good neighbor in the, in the parable of the Samaritan? Well, one of the neighbors is the stranger who gets beat up and left on the, along the side of the road. And the good Samaritan is the good neighbor who comes alongside to help. The bad neighbor is the, the Pharisees who pass by on the other side of the road and ignore them. So our neighbor is just about anyone, right? A stranger, someone we might not normally associate with. So we as a church, as part of this mission statement, we want to love God, we want to love people, and we want to love all people, strangers, people who need mercy extended to them. Okay, and uh, this passage also talks about these two commandments depend, depend, upon these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So basically all of the law in the Old Testament that the Jews followed, all 613 of those commandments can be traced back to these two, right? It's all about loving God and loving people. All those other commandments 
support that. So we, as people who follow God, all the commandments that we have ultimately support loving God and loving people. The other passage that underlies our mission statement is the Great Commission. That's also on your handout. And that's from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I'll just read that. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he saw, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, meets his disciples in Galilee and he gives them this, this new commandment to go and make disciples. Disciple is a follower, right? So we go to go and make followers of all nations followers of Christ, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Well, what is all that he's commanded us? Isn't that summarized in what I just talked about, the great commandment? So when we, make, when we do this process of making disciples, we're basically teaching people how to better love God than love people. So it also says in this passage that he's with us until the end of, end of the age. Well, it's, that's appropriate for us to think about this time of year, God with us, right? As we, as we live out this mission, God with us, Emmanuel, he is with us. So how do, we, uh, how do we live out this mission as a church? We strive to tie everything back, everything that we do here at East Glenville, back to this, this statement and these commandments to love God and love people and, and make disciples. So our worship, for example, we strive to make it something where we're, we're better able to love God through our worship. Our preaching is focused on learning how to better love God and love people and build disciples, make disciples. So for example, when Pastor Mitch preached on the Peacemaker series, what are, we, what are some of the things we learned about there? We saw how that we can love God by extending true forgiveness to others. By, you know, when we're in a conflict with someone, we don't go talk to other people first about it. We first approach them in private. Why? Because that's the loving thing to do, to love them. And it's the loving thing to do to, to love God. Um, so that's just an example there of what they're preaching. We offer life groups here at the church. So the idea there is we want people to get together in smaller groups, to get to know one another, to encourage one another, to help one another better love God and love people and to, to work on discipleship through that. We offer classes on Sunday morning, Bible studies. We have the mealtime on Wednesday night that can facilitate all this. Um, we have our youth and, and our children's ministries so that our young people can learn what it means to, to love God and love people. And we have our preschool ministry so that our preschool leaders and teachers can love our kids and help develop those little disciples of Christ. Uh, we have our diaconate ministry to, to help meet the needs of people in distress. Um, we support missionaries who actually go make disciples of all nations. And we have the opportunity to support them in prayer, financially and locally here. We can participate in local missions opportunities or short-term missions abroad. Um, 
So we encourage everyone to be reaching out to your neighbors as well, in the workplace, in your neighborhoods, in the community. And we as leaders, it's, it, it's our desire and it's our prayer that you be involved in worship on a regular basis, that you look for opportunities to serve here, that you look for opportunities to learn, to learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And we, we've got plenty of opportunities for that. And we also want you to be reaching out to those in the community around the church. And we actually have, we actually have a fund available to help do that. And we can talk more about that some other time. But our desire is to be able to reach out for us to one-on-one to -on -one be able to impact our community and our workplaces and our neighborhoods. So that's my encouragement this morning. I think next up is Chuck Capisi. Good morning. I, uh, I appreciate this time that I was allotted here to um, speak with you this morning because I, I haven't been able to do that a lot, but uh, it means a lot to me to communicate. So I'm going to bring you through a little journey today, a little bit different than maybe uh, the last approach. But um, so I was asked to talk about my heart for or my passion for the mission. So I'm going to reference a couple of scriptures today, one being John 3.16, probably one of the most famous scriptures uh, that the world knows. And I'm going to go to Haggai, um, chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. So I'm going to um, talk about you know, God wants us to serve him with passion. Now, we might say that we don't have passion, but everybody has passion about something. Some passions lead us to great things. Some of our passions lead us to a dark place. So we're going to talk about the passions that lead us to a good place. Um, so, so when you take, I'm going to give you a little formula. So when you take passion and you mix it with creativity, you yield a result, whether that's a good result or a bad result. So to motivate, God has given us passion, and he has given us a creative ability. From a very young age, I don't care whether you're a little child, playing, you create things, all the way through, whether you become a floral designer, whether you become an engineer, an architect, Everything needs passion and it needs creativity to solve a problem. So an example I'll use is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. The passion, God so loved the world. The creativity is he created a way to eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ. The result 
is spending eternity with our Heavenly Father. So I think he sets an example here of how you can take passion, mix it with creativity, and, and come out with a desired result. So God's plan for the church. All right, I'm sure we all know that, but just review high level. The, the, the mission of the church is to spread the gospel through preaching, teaching of his word, also includes evangelism and outreach. Well, that's what we have done here at East Glenville Church for many generations. And it all centers from this physical church building. It all starts here and goes out to the community and to, um, to, to the ends of the earth, basically. All right, so now I'm going to go back a little bit. In the late, 19, or in the late um, yeah, 1990s, Pastor Ron and the sitting elders of the church decided they had a vision. They decided to renovate this facility. They reached out to a few of us. Um, Ted, you were one of them. Bill Harkness was another. Myself and one of the sitting elders, Bob Fianhusen. They reached out to us to investigate and to start looking at and working towards that goal. So they had a passion to renovate this church. So we started on a process. That process was lengthy, much more lengthy than I anticipated when I signed up. But time would only tell what was in store for us and what a blessing it was for this church. It was probably one of the greatest times that I've experienced in East Glenville Church in the past 28 years. That desire to make East Glenville Church, I'm going to introduce a new word here, sparkle, soon turned into a passion, and it eventually spread through the whole congregation. It wasn't overnight, but it took time. Everyone saw God's hand at work at East Glenville Church during that time. It was a wonderful time. We walked hand in hand, step by step, following the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we didn't know where we would end up, but we knew that we were on the right path because God would show us one step at a time. Here, do this next. Fundraise. Get people involved. That time in the life of this church was transformational. We experienced the joy of serving our God, not only by rebuilding this house of worship through sacrificial giving of our time, our talents, our resources, and our finances, but it brought us together to focus on the purpose of the living God. Why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? We bonded together like I haven't seen in the last 20 years because we had a purpose. We had passion, we had creativity, and we had an objective. 
So during that 20, the last 20 years, um, our revitalized facility is showing a little bit of need for some TLC in certain areas. Well, I decided to get back involved. Um, a couple of years ago, I was asked to try to help out a little bit here and there. And God brought me back to Haggai. And I'll read that. If you haven't got it memorized. All right, so. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. That motivated me 20-some years ago to give all that I had to that project. And then a couple of years ago, it, it re-energized me to come back and to get reinvolved to re rebuild, um, basically, we'll just say, no, not really renovate, but rebuild what we had put together back then. So, when you look at the prophet Haggai, what God sent him to deliver a message, and there was at that time there was like 50,000 Jewish people that were um, come back from exile and, and they wanted to rebuild the temple. So they started. They started that process. They got, they laid the foundation and then indifference set in. Indifference to the things of God. Work stopped for 16 years then Haggai's purpose was to stir them, bring them out of their lethargy to complete the restoration. So I believe that we're about to enter a time that is equal to or not greater than what God did for this church 20-some years ago in our relationships with each other and how we view and how we take our eyes off our situation and we focus them on the living God 
So Haggai's message was really not to rebuild the physical building, but it was to help them receive the blessings that awaited them. And I, I really believe that's where we're going. So on the way here, you know, my mind wanders, but God brought to mind a bride who's, who's getting prepared to meet her bridegroom at the altar. That bride is so excited about what is ahead of her. She has planned that wedding. She has worked for probably months and months and months to get everything right. She has adorned herself with jewelry. She has fixed her hair and her makeup because she wants to get to this altar to meet her bridegroom and be married. Then, just a little bit downstream from that wedding, they can't wait to get home to each other at night because they want to be together. They want to talk. They want to share. They want to walk together hand in hand through life. They want to start a family. They have all these things that are exciting. That's what God wants for us on a daily basis. He wants us to come to him every day to be so excited because he's looking forward to the day where his bride gets to heaven. Right? So if that helps you to make this picture that God is about to do something very exciting for us. I believe that with every fiber that I have. And I keep hearing these words go through my mind frequently. The Spirit is saying, EGCC needs to sparkle again. Not that our... <laughs> Not that our, we're going to have gold walkways and we're going to have pearly gates and, and we're going to have foundations that sparkle like jewels. God is all about sparkle, but this is a different sparkle. So I would encourage you to think about that, pray about that. There are so many things that you can do to get involved here to, in 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 many, many ways, not only to make the facility sparkle, but to make God look down upon us and say, East Glenville is, is a gem sparkling in my eye. So with that, I thank you for your time. Okay, Jim, I think. Good morning. Um, I'm really encouraged coming up here after listening to these two guys speak before me. I planned out what I was going to say after Mitch had reached out to me, and uh, I had no idea what these guys were going to say. And I think there's a thread, and may maybe you'll see the thread that that leads through these through think, uh, three speeches, whatever you want to call them, mini sermons, sermonettes. Um, this is really my personal story, 
and hopefully you can relate with it to a degree. But Jesus told us a few different times that if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, that we'd see miracles in our lives. We'd see mountains be moved, so to speak. And so I did a little research on a mustard seed, and I found out it's one to two millimeters in diameter. Yet a mustard bush grows to be 20 to 30 feet high and wide. So that's some amazing power that's contained in that little tiny seed. I think the Bible refers to it as dunamos, which is where we get dynamite from. It's that explosive power. Am I not talking loud enough? I feel. No? Getting the, the head shake from Bill. I, I always think I talk too loud. Well, anyway, that, dyna, that dynamic power, that dynamite power, that actually is referred to as the resurrection power, the resurrection of Christ is that incredible power, and that's the power that's contained in a mustard seed of faith. But a seed, to awaken its power, has to be planted. If I walk around all day long with an acorn in my pocket, all my faith in the world is not going to turn that into a mighty oak tree. I have to take that acorn, plant it in good soil, and care for it, and watch to see that mighty acorn, that mighty oak tree eventually, in time, come come to uh, to come to be. Um, I think that um, this is sort of what James was saying in his epistle when he says, "Faith without works is dead." Our faith is proven out by our actions. The seed has to be planted in good soil. It has to die to itself in order to be transformed into what God designed it to be. So like the mustard seed, we reap so much more than we sow when we sow to God's kingdom. One act of faith and obedience multiplies like the loaves and the fishes. Stepping out in faith as Peter did when he walked on water means obeying and trusting. We trust God's word even when we can't understand what we're being called to do or why. As Christians, I think we always need to ask ourselves, is there evidence of my faith? Sacrificing is an act of faith. Sacrificing our time, time, talents, and treasure to invest in God's kingdom is an act of faith, and it's a necessary part of our worship. We need to die to ourselves, to sow to God's kingdom. So it's a quick story, personal story. About 19 years ago, the Lord was revealing to me that I really wasn't following him with all my heart, though I'd been saved over a decade earlier. I wasn't living out Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, which has always been my favorite scripture verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. One of the ways I had reaped, or what I, one of the ways I reaped what I had been sowing up to that time was that my business was failing. And during this extremely stressful time of downsizing and failing finances, the Lord led me to read the prophet Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And this is part of what I read in chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, and it won't be up on the screen. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. 
But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I, will not, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So Katie and I knew that we needed to begin tithing, but there could not have been a less convenient time to start. But delayed obedience is disobedience, so we had to take a step of faith. I also had to exercise faith that God would bless my renewed efforts to rebuild my business nearly from scratch. It was a very humbling time, but God showed his faithfulness and blessed us far more abundantly than the efforts I expended like that mustard seed. We struggled for a while, but God rebuked the devourer for me and my business. In Malachi, God calls out his people for robbing him, and he lets them know that they are suffering the consequences. He's telling them that they aren't trusting him and that his way is a better way to live and frankly isn't optional for his people. What we are to do is to trust him only, to live with hands wide open, ready to receive the blessings, but to not grasp them too tightly. Don't trust in money, trust in God, don't worship the blessings, worship God alone. See, these are the things that God was telling me at this time and tells us through his word. And watch what he will do when you plant that seed of faithfulness. So, I would challenge anyone here, if you're not tithing, begin now. As God said through Malachi, test him in it and see how your act of faith and obedience is blessed. God is faithful to his people and to his word. But I would just say that we don't go into, and I know that we didn't go into the tithing thing with an expectation. Hey, I'm going to plant the seed, I'm going to get ten times full. It was all about being obedient to God's command and trusting that he would help us to make it happen. And he did, and he has done that continually. And we have been blessed beyond, beyond measure, frankly. And I really think that uh, Paul's second letter to Corinthians, which is the verse which is on the sheet, and I believe will be up here, says it perfectly and, and wraps this all together. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Thank you. So when I was in, um, in college one time, I, I was at the student union at a University of Toledo. That's where I went. That's in northern Ohio. And I didn't usually study there. I was kind of sitting on a thing, but I just had to get out of the room. It was one of those winter days. So kind of people all around, a little bit like this, but no one is focused. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And then a guy comes up, and he starts... I see him with like a briefcase. He opens the briefcase. He pulls out a portable little stand and sets it up. And I'm kind of watching him out of the corner of my eye as I'm doing my thing. Um, and then he sets it up, puts a piece of paper, and he, he sort of looks around. And no one's focused on him. I, I'm just sort of noticing him as I, out of the corner of my eye. And then he starts to give a talk, a speech, reading off his notes and he's in the middle of a room with a bunch of people, but no one's really listening to him. And I, I didn't really, ca- I could sort of hear him. I was, I was probably one of the closer people, and it, I think it had to do with something like economics or engineering or something to that effect. And he goes through this whole speech, and I'm like, I'm curious, but I really don't want to make eye contact. Like, I don't want to get drawn into this. And no one is necessarily, I think other people are in the same spot. They're just like, All right, what's going on? And then when he finishes, he looks around, packs up. Nope, no applause, nothing. Um, puts his stuff away, and then he walks out. I'm like, what was that about? And my only guess is that he was fulfilling some grant requirement, that he had to give some talk about something in a public place so that he could, you know, get the grant and fulfill that. Um, But I always thought about that, like to to have this idea that you're speaking out a message to a bunch of people, and it's not moving people anywhere. It's not not getting them to, to do anything. They don't really care. They're there, but they're not really paying attention. Um, But you're just kind of there. And I, I, I think of that when I think of church, right? We gather a crowd of people, but our, as, we, as we share the messages we teach and do what we've talked about, you know, disciple, and are people being moved in a direction? Are, are we having an effect, or are we just speaking to tell nice stories, or so that people learn something and, and maybe know more about history? A lot of talking, but are people being moved to respond? And that's, that's what I'm thinking about today as I think about the heart for the mission. What, what's our calling? And I was in a pastor group, and one of my friends, Wes, um, he shared his, his mission vision. And I'm like, he put things more succinctly than I've ever seen it. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to steal that. And so... What he shared, I'm gonna, I sort of stole and adapted, and I'm going to share with you this morning. So he, here it is in short. And here's, this is my hope that as we, as we do the work at East Glenville, 
this is what happens in people's lives. First, that people would notice Jesus, explore Jesus, seek and come to find Jesus, follow Jesus, grow and become rooted in Jesus, and then share Jesus. So this is sort of the, you know, we, we have a vision statement, a mission statement, but, but I sort of see this as a way of expressing it, of what our vision is, what my hope is for the work we're doing. So I, I want to start off by saying, first of all, notice, you may notice, well, you put it in terms of Jesus, but what about God? What about the Bible? Well, here's what I've, I've come to believe, is that when we encounter Christ, when Jesus comes into our life, when we trust in Him, through Jesus, He will lead us into the depths of the knowledge of God, our Father. He will lead us into a close relationship with God. He will lead us to the wisdom and the teachings of the Word of God of the Scriptures. He will lead us to closeness with God. So if we're engaging with Jesus, He's the door into all the riches that God has for us. So that's why I, I'm talking about Jesus, um, putting it in terms of, of, of simply Jesus, because he will lead us to all the more that we need. The verse I want to highlight is 2 Corinthians 4. And it talks about the God of the sage, which means not God, it means actually God's enemy. The, the God of of the world, in a sense, the one who rules over this world and leads this world away from God. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, of those who have not yet encountered Jesus, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? Jesus came, and yet people can't see it because God, God's enemy has blinded them to it. And so then what do we do? For what we preach is not ourselves. We're not just trying to get a, a bigger, bigger, ever bigger church for ourselves. What are we doing? We're preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. That's our message. That's our teaching. We're telling people about the one that God sent, his only son. And ourselves, what's our role? We are simply servants for Christ's sake. So we proclaim Christ and we take the role of servants. That is the, the heartbeat of what we want to be about at East Glenville. And so then, so that, so for what purpose? So that first that people might notice Jesus. I think in our current day, there's a, you know, a lot of people who give little to no thought of Jesus in their life. They go about their life. They'll even celebrate the birth of Jesus. But they don't give any thought to the role that Christ would play in their life. Um, my friend, Wes, who I stole all this from, his ministry is actually to international students. So this was a big part of his ministry, that, that they would try to get these people from other countries who may never have literally heard the name of Jesus to, to notice Christ. And so that was a big part of him. For, for us in the States, it's less so because people see signs of Jesus all around. But they still don't think Jesus has anything for them. My hope is that people would notice Jesus to the point of thinking, maybe he has something for me. So that's one. Second is explore Jesus. And that means 
having a place where you, you can learn about him before you're ready to take the step of committing your life to him. Right? There, there needs to be that time where you can learn the, the background, the details, so that you get to the point that you can trust him with your life. And my hope is that at East Glenville, that people can come and do that exploring. And that we can help people learn what they need to learn so that they're ready and able to make that choice for themselves of whether to follow Christ or not. And so if you're in that spot, if like you're, you know, you're not sure whether Christianity is for you, this is a good place to just come and learn enough and check it out and ask questions. It is very okay to ask questions about, I, I don't understand how this fits or why this fits or wh why the Bible says this. That is okay, and we want to foster that here at East Glenville. So notice Jesus, explore Jesus, and then we want this to be a place where people can seek and come to find Jesus. Right? The difference between explore, explore is you're kind of doing with your mind. It's when you're seeking, it's you're seeking that, responding to that inner call from God. And, and it's like you want him in your life to seek and come to find Jesus. Where you take that step of saying, Lord, I, I know I need you in my life. And I want to trust in you. I want to have you um, and follow you and walk with you. And so we would have opportunities that people could to, to take that. That's a big step in life. Now, in days past, in the evangelical type churches and Bible churches, that was really a focus, right? That everything the church would do would be about getting people saved, right? Altar calls, and, and I think it, this is certainly an important step, but I think also leaving room for the, the noticing Jesus and exploring Jesus is vital as well. The fourth part is to follow Jesus. Don talked about this, right? That, that's, this is a place where we follow Jesus together, we learn from one another. We can put things into practice. We can take those first steps of, of obedience to Christ and living for him. And we do that in a safe place to follow Jesus together as a community. It's not just us and us alone. We're all working on this. And then the, the next step then, and this is actually one of the, this was not in Wes's, my friend's list. I because he's, he's, again, focused on parachurch outreach. As a church, I think this is key, is to grow and become rooted in Jesus. That this would be a place we learn, where we learn the, the, what the Bible is, how we apply it, what it means. It's a knowledge thing, but it's even more an application. How does this look? And I put this phrase, become rooted, because I think, I know, we follow Jesus in a world that's often hostile, in a world where the storms blow against our faith. We need to become that seed that Jim talked about needs to become rooted deep so that, that we're not going to be blown about and blown every which way, that, that we become solid in our faith so that it can, it can withstand the difficulties of life. And then the last aspect that we're hoping we'd like to see, is the people begin to share Jesus. That we want others to know the Savior we've come to discover. We, we want to join the mission and help people take those steps that we've taken 
We want people to find the grace and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ and enter into eternal life. And so that's my hope, our desire, is that you would be doing each of these and going down, down these steps as you, as you grow in your faith, that you're, you're doing all of, all of these, that God would give you a heart to share in the mission of Jesus Christ and ideally through this congregation, that he's called us together to, to work on this. And as that you would say, the Second Corinthians 4, 5, that you would make that your own, right? Knowing that the God of this age has blinded people to the truth about Jesus, that you would declare Jesus is Lord and that you would be willing to take the role of a servant for his sake servant within the church, a servant to people around us, to our neighbors? Are you willing to be a part of this mission? To take that role, to take this verse and make it your own, however God is leading you. I want to give you a minute just to pray. What did you hear today? What is God saying to you from maybe one of these four messages that you need to apply? And then I'll close with prayer and, and just a little bit. But, but ask God, God, what do you want me to take away from this, these messages?